All right, my message this morning is called Miracle in the Mess, and we're going to turn to 1 John 1, 5 to 9. 1 John 1, 5 to 9. You're looking at me like, why is he wearing a dirty dressing gown? You're going to find out. It says here that God is light, pure light. There is not a trace of darkness in him. If we claim that we experienced a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life of one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all our sin. How many people are, are thankful for that? Come, I need some response this morning. I, I know I've been gone for five weeks, but don't tell me we've become this boring, apathetic place in five weeks. Otherwise, I'll have to kick Gina and Dave and tell them that, no, no, just joking. They did a fantastic job. But I don't know about you, but the Bible says that the sacrificed blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, purges all of our sin. Can I get an amen? amen? If we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we have never sinned, we are out and out, contradict God, and make a liar out of him. A claim like that shows our ignorance of God. How many people feel blessed by that scripture this morning? Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever messed up? Has anybody in this place ever messed up? There should be every single hand up in this place because there's not a single person in this place that has ever messed up. I've messed up. And the crazy thing is, is I don't know about you, but I've messed up as a Christian. Anybody else done that? I've messed up as a pastor. Anybody else done that? <laughs> One, yeah. Here's the crazy thing. As a Christian, sometimes I even planned my sin. Don't you go all quiet on me this morning. Yeah, you know, we, 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 we treat this whole thing, we treat this whole thing about God, and we treat this whole thing about, oh, well, uh, well I'll, I'll, just, I'll just try and keep my mess a secret. I'll just try and keep it over here. But John says, man, if, if, you, if you're acting like, pretending like you haven't sinned, you're a fool. Because the Bible says that the best thing that you can do is expose your mess so that the blood of Jesus Christ can come and purge your mess, and so that you walk away. And so instead of walking around with a robe covered in dirt like this, instead of walking around in a life that's covered in our mess, we can walk around in a life that's not covered in mess. How many people think that's a great idea? But the thing is, is this, is we're so dishonest with ourselves. We're so dishonest with ourselves about what's going on sometimes. I don't know what happens. Is We have this moment where we give our lives to Jesus Christ, where we're honest about where we're at, we're honest about our sin, and then once we become a Christian, we decide that we're going to be dishonest about it, try and hide it away in a corner somewhere and act like we're all good. And here's the thing about sin, sin will take you further than you ever want to go. It starts off here, but it'll take you all over the place, and it'll get into areas of your life that you never intended it to get into. Sin to me is a little bit like, you know, I can remember when Madison was little, she's not here right now, so I can say the story, but she would have been about two or three years of age, and, and it was about three o'clock in the morning, and parents, you'll understand this, I heard this dreaded noise of, uh, uh, 
you know what's going to happen, don't you? They're in bed and they're about to vomit. You want to get out of your bed as quick as possible, but I was so tired, I was like, oh, she'll be all right. And then I heard the, you know, the, the vomit go on to the carpet, you know, as you hear it. And the thing is, she was in a, a cubby bed about this high, so it was like, splash, 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 splash. All right. How many parents are with me right now? The problem was is that before I could get my lazy butt out of bed to go and deal with the vomit in the carpet, she had decided that she would get up and try and clean it up herself. How many parents know that that's not a good sign? Because she thought she'd clean it up herself, and what she tended to do is she actually stood in it as she went to go and get a towel to clean it up. So now we don't just have vomit on the carpet, we now have vomit going down the hallway. Because the thing about sin is that it always goes places where you don't want it to. It follows you around. If you're gonna, if you're gonna cover up your mess, then, then it just follows you around. And then you get into the bedroom and you, and you tell her to stay still, don't move. <laughs> you know, you're angry, aren't you, kind of? Or maybe not, you're not, I am. Don't move, you're taking your vomit everywhere, you know, and then they're covered in vomits and then they start to cry, and then they want a hug and they're covered in vomit. I mean, you've already had that experience with a bit of vomit ended up on your finger and you go, oh God, my finger. You know, it's a little bit like when you change their nappies, you know, and you get a little bit on your hands, you know, and you're just it's just, have kids, they say, it'll be awesome, they say. And, and it ends up everywhere, and then you realize that this poor little thing at two years of age, it's not her fault. It's not her fault she's sick. It's not her fault she's vomited. It's not her fault she's made a mess. It's not her fault she's tried to, she's tried to, she's tried to be helpful, but in being helpful, she actually just made it worse. And here's the thing that, that we need to understand about sin. Sin always goes places you never want it to do. But the other thing about sin is you were never created to clean it up. You were never created to clean it up. Like if I show you right now, if I've got my life in this robe, as the scripture teaches, that we wear robes, and, and if I try to clean up the mess on my, on my robe, I actually just, I just make it worse. I don't actually help in any way. I, and, and, and our problem is, is that we think that it's about us to clean up the mess, but you were never designed to clean up the mess of your life. You were never designed to deal with the sin of your life. You can't do it. You were never created to do it. Adam and Eve tried to do it in the garden. They covered themselves up with leaves and stuff, and God comes on and says, what are you doing? That ain't going to work. And so Jesus, God goes and kills the lamb and kills the beast and covers them up because he understood that you were never created to actually clean up the mess of your sin. It's not what God created you to do. And so often we try to hide what's going on in our world. We try to hide our mess and we try to deal with it ourselves and we try to clean it up ourselves and all we do is make a bigger mess. Can I get an amen this morning? No, it's not a great amen to amen to, but it's a reality, yes? The more we try to clean up our lives, the bigger the mess that we make. Sin takes us further than we want to go and anything that you have to hide, anything that you think you need to hide away, anything that you think you need to cover up probably isn't from God in the first place. If there's something in your life you're trying to, to keep quiet or hide away, friend, I'm trying to tell you that's not God. God is not about the hiding. God is about, you know what, I want to clean you up. I want to clean, just like we did with Madison, you clean her up and you get into the shower and you get her out of her vomit clothes and you give her a hug and you love her and you clean her up and you put her back to bed. 
and you clean her up. You clean up the mess. And Jesus does that with us. He cleans up the mess because he knows he's the only one that can clean the mess. I need, a, I need someone to play Jesus for me this morning. Pete can come and be Jesus. That looks really good on you. These are these are women's ones, mate. <laughs> you see, the thing about God is this: the Scripture teaches us that our robes are as filthy rags. Yes. Our robes are as filthy rags. We can't clean up our mess. But Jesus teaches that he comes and he gives us robes of righteousness. But what I didn't realize before is I thought that God just took my dirty robe off and gave me a new robe. But that's not what happens. This is what happens. What happens is he doesn't clean my robe up. He gives me his robe. And then he wears my robe all the way to the cross. When the scripture teaches that he carried our sins to the cross. It's not a new robe that he gives you. It's his robe that he gives you. And that's why the scripture says that he's coming back for a perfect bride without spot, wrinkle or blemish. Because it's not about the church being perfect. It's about the church wearing his robe. It's about the church being honest about its mess and letting him carry it to the cross. Instead of trying to clean it up all the time. Just going, you know what? Let's exchange this for a moment. Let's give this what he did for you. The day that that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. He didn't give you a brand new your life. He gave you a brand new his life. He gave you his robe. He didn't just give you a, hey, I've got a spear out the back that you can borrow. He said, you wear mine. You wear mine from now on and I'll wear yours. What a great deal that God has done for us. But the only way that you can change from this robe to this robe is to be honest about your mess. Because what you hide, God can't help. Are you with me this morning? Thanks, Pete. You can grab a seat, and I'm going to take this off because it's really hot. I don't know if you understand this morning that he trades your dirty clothes for his robe, and then he wears your robe to the cross and wore your sin on him. That's what he did in Psalm 51, verse 7 to 10. It says this, this is, this is David crying out to God after he had committed adultery, after he had made sure that Azura was murdered and all that sort of stuff. He's crying out to God and he says, Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have snow white life. Tune me into the foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bull of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out into the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from great exile and put fresh wind in my sails. You know, Jesus covered the cost of your cleanup. Jesus covered the cost 
of your cleanup and not that he only covered the cost of the cleanup by giving you his robe, that he removed all traces of sin so that it is no longer. When you look at the robe that he's given you, it's his robe. There's no sin in his robe. There's no blemishes in his robe. There's no faults in his robe. That is what he has given you to cover up your life. And he said, let me take your mess for you. And so when we think about all of that, why is it that we cover our mess up? You see, the crazy thing about God is that even though I'm dirty, I'm still his child. Even though Madison was covered in vomit, she's still my kid. Why do we have this thought process sometimes as Christians that because I'm dirty, God doesn't want me? You messed up. We all mess up. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God where we're all messed up. That should be relief. Because when we understand that, man, I'm messed up, but I know this, if I give my mess to God, then I get his robe. I get his righteousness. I don't have to do anything. I just have to let him take it because God doesn't hold us hostage to our failures. God doesn't hold your failures and hold you hostage to them and hold them against you and use them against you. We do that to ourselves. Yes? How many of you have allowed the enemy come along and say, you can't do this and you can't do that because you've got this in your life and that in your life and you've done this in your life and that in your life and you've allowed that to stop you from ever doing what God's called you to do because he keeps on pointing to the robe that Jesus wore to the cross instead of pointing to the robe that you're wearing, which is his robe. You see, according to Christ, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, people don't have the right to bring up your past because they didn't cover the cost of your cleanup. Nobody has the right to bring up your past about what you did or what you done on your mess because they didn't pay the price to clean it up. Jesus paid the price to clean up your mess. And the Bible says that he's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west and into the sea of forgetfulness. Jesus is the only one that never remembers your sin. We remember it. Everybody else around us remembers it, but he never remembers it. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see the dirty robe, he sees his robe. Are you with me this morning? I'm telling you, if you can get hold of this right now, if you can let this grab hold of your life right now, you, you, you'll live incredibly different because the problem is, is that Jesus, God calls us by our name, but the devil always calls us by our sin. Have you ever noticed that? He calls you by your mess. He calls you by the faults. He calls you by your failures. But God never calls you by your faults or your failures. He calls you by your name. Gideon, mighty man, mighty warrior. What? I'm hiding in a wine press, graining out wheat that is not mighty, that is not for no, uh, uh, that's, that's, that The enemy would come and say, you're a chicken, you're a coward, you're hiding. He calls him by what he is doing, but God always calls us by who he believes us to be. You know whether it's God talking because when God speaks, he calls you by name. And when the devil talks, he calls you by your sin. But you have to think to yourself for a moment here because I think 
we, we hear stuff like this in church and we've heard things like, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And if God can be for me, who can be against me? And, and my God shall do exceedingly abundantly more than we'd ever ask, think or dream of. And, and the response of the church so often worldwide is, oh yeah, I've heard that before. What has happened to us? What has happened to us? That we've come to this point that when his word is declared and his promises are declared, we're like, oh yeah. His word, it's alive, it's living, it's active, it's more powerful than anything you'll ever see. Jesus is the word. The word was flesh and the flesh was... He is the word of God. When you speak the word into situations, you're speaking Jesus. You're speaking God. The Bible says this and teaches us that the word of God in your mouth is as powerful as the word of God in God's mouth because it's the word of God. But we've become so blasé in the church about the word of God. We say, oh, I've heard it all before. What has happened? happen to us, that we have lost sight, that when His Word says something, it has to happen. Why have we let go? Because we're so consumed with our mess. We, we just don't believe God can do it because we've got this mess in our world. And the Scripture would say, hey man, I don't even know what mess you have. If you've asked forgiveness, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Can you please just stand up, mighty man? of God, mighty woman of God. Are you with me this morning? Because your problems aren't bigger than His promise. Your problems are never bigger than His promise. And so the question today is not really, is there mess in your life, but does your mess have you? The question is not, if I have mess in my life, but does my mess have me? Is my mess controlling me? Is my mess leading me? Is my mess stopping me from being all the things that God has called me to be? We all have mess, friend. We're all broken. We've all got weaknesses. We've all got failures. But you can fail or your failure can have you. You can be weak or your weakness can have you. Are you with me this morning? And so you have to ask this question this morning, what am I going to do about my mess? How desperate am I to get rid of it? How desperate am I to deal with it? How bad do you want to be free? Enough to get up at five o'clock in the morning when you don't want to and pray and read your word? Enough to be here week in, week out on a Sunday so that you can hear what God wants to say to the life of the church? Enough to get yourself into, what, what is it that you're prepared to, how badly do you want to be free of this thing? And then my other question to you is, ask yourself this, how much does God want you to have victory? But we, we, we never think about this, but you think about it, how much, how desperate is God to see you walk in victory? I'll tell you how desperate he is, it's John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in them may not perish but have everlasting life. God is so desperate that you would have victory in your life that he sacrificed his son for you before you even knew him. He made a way where there was no way. He cleaned up your mess before you even made a mess because he is so desperate for you to have victory. But how desperate are you for your victory? How desperate are you? There's a story of a woman at the well in Samaria and we're gonna go through this story, I'm going to show you 
what happens when we let our mess get in the way and then what happens when we deal with our mess. Are you with me this morning? Are we good? Are we all right? You happy? Cool. In John 4, verse 7 to 8, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Now, you've probably heard this story before, and if you have, you'll know that she came out to draw water from the well at midday. Midday is not the time of the day that people would draw water from the well. They would come out in the morning. In fact, all the women of the village would go out in the morning <coughs> to the well to draw water. It's, it'd be like today, all the women going out in the morning for coffee. It's, it's one of those moments while you're drawing water, it's like, oh, you wouldn't believe what little Johnny's got up to lately. And it's, blah, 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 blah. you know, they're having a great old um, time drawing water and having conversation. That's what the woman of the village did. But this woman came out at midday. And we know the story. We know that it goes on to say that, you know, she's had five husbands and the one that she's with now is, and so that's why she's hiding away, yes? She's coming out at midday because she doesn't want to have to face everybody with her stuff, with her mess. So she decides that she'll come out at midday when none of them are around so she doesn't have to face anybody because of how they would judge her and how they would, you know, but she was trying to avoid her mess. But the thing is about this is that Jesus' confrontation with her was not off the cuff. It was not unplanned because if you read in verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, I must go to Samaria. Now, you've got to understand the Jews, rather than go through Samaria to Judah, would walk an additional 73 miles around the outside of Samaria to go to Judah rather than walk through Samaria. How many people that's insane? It's like, I'm going to go to Taupo via New Plymouth because I don't want to have to go through t Row on the way. You know? Trinity, I, I try to avoid t Row too because Trinity thinks that's the Let's get out of the car and look at all the knick-knack shops for the next 20 hours. So they would normally walk 73 miles around the outside, but in verse 4 he says, I must go to Samaria. Jesus planned to encounter this woman at midday at the well. He was there on purpose. He had a plan. He had a strategy. She's trying to hide her stuff. But Jesus is like, man, I've got a plan for you i got a plan for you. Here's the thing. He turns up, and he says to her, as we've already read, he said, woman, give me a drink. And she says, how can I give you a drink? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Like, I'm a woman, so one, you wouldn't talk to me because I'm a woman, but I'm also Samaritan. What's a Jew doing in Samaria? Like, you would avoid this like the plague. She's, she's trying to cover up her stuff by being out there, and here's the thing. When we cover up our mess, we even resist God's intervention. When we're busy covering up our mess like her, she was resisting God's intervention. Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. He had a plan to encounter with her. You know that God has a plan to encounter you and your mess. 
But when we try to cover up our mess, we resist God's encounter. We resist his intervention because we're so concerned about what people will think of us or what God will think of us that we try to keep our mess to one side. And she says, how, how, how can I give you a drink? You're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. And so she's resisting the intervention of God because God can't help you with what you're prepared to hide. And she's saying, you, you, this... You, you're a Jew, you're a man, I'm Samaritan, I'm a woman. She's resisting his intervention, even though in verse 4, Jesus said, I must go. He, he was having an encounter with her and her mess. And in verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? So Jesus here sends her resistance and says to her, Lady, if you understood who was asking you to give a drink, you'd ask me for a drink, because I'm the one that has all of your answers. And she turns around and says, What? You're greater than our father Jacob? You see, when we cover up our mess, when we focus on our mess, it will cause us to justify why it won't work. Jesus is saying, lady, I'm telling you, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you'd ask me, and I'll be able to clean up all of this mess. And instead of her turning around and going, oh, that'll be really, really awesome, she's so focused on her mess that she's just justifying, what, are you, are you greater than our father Jacob, who drew from this well? She, she's justifying, I don't know how often I've done that in my life, and I'm sure you've done that in your life, We have tried to justify why God can't come through for you. Why God can't do the thing that he said he's going to do. Well, he can't because I've got this, and he can't because I've got that. You know what, while you're keeping it hidden, he can't help, but once you unveil what it is that you're dealing with, then he comes into the middle of that, and he helps in the middle of your mess. So the first thing she does is she's so focused on her mess that she's avoiding his intervention. The second thing is you're starting to make excuses why it can't work, why it's not going to work. I don't know how many people I've dealt with in church life where I say, to them, you know what, God, oh no, God can come through, but you don't understand. You don't understand my past. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand what has happened to me. You don't understand what the doctors have said. And they're justifying for a reason why it's not going to work instead of turning around and saying, man, this is Jesus right here. This is, the, this is the guy that took my mess. This is the guy that hung on the cross with my mess. This is a mess specialist. You see, our problem is, is that we think our situation is unique, but here's the thing, you are unique to God, but your situation isn't. Your situation isn't. There are plenty of people in this room that have had marriage difficulties. There are plenty of people in this room that have financial difficulties. There are plenty of people in this room that have struggled with pornography. There are plenty of people in this room that have struggled with alcohol and smoking. And well, there are plenty. Of, you are not alone in your situation. You are unique in God, but your situation is never unique. But what the enemy will tell you is that you're, you're the only one dealing with this. You're the only one going through this. You're, you know, if there's one in four girls are sexually abused, you're not the only one going through this. But he is the only answer. 
Are you with me? This one is so quiet and here. I hope this is, but when we focus on our mess, we start to justify why God can't do this. In verse 13, he goes on, and Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. She's starting to open up. That I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. So she starts to open up, Sir, I gotta have this water that you speak of. She starts to open up. Her honesty allows Jesus into her mess because his response is go and get your husband. He he knows. He knows he's about to hit the nail on the head here. But her honesty allowed him an opportunity to enter into her mess. Why? Because God is attracted to brokenness, because brokenness always brings openness. God, you have to understand this about God. You're going to get this free here. God never intends you to lose. God always intends you to win. And if you're hiding something, it's because that thing is going to stop you from winning. And the best thing that you can do is to be open about your mess, be open about your brokenness, be open about your weaknesses, because that gives God an invitation to come into the mess. And so she says to him, oh, I've got to have this water. And he says, lady, go and get your husband. I love this because he is about to nail it. Yeah? Could you imagine her response? I finally opened up, and I've been a little bit honest here. Just, just open the door a little bit. And then he's just like, go and get your husband. It's, Could you imagine the feeling of the lady? It's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, uh, um, yeah, uh. If I was her, it would have been like, nice to meet you. You know, like, let's just run over here somewhere, you know. I'll come out tomorrow and get water, you know. I'll wait, I'll wait around the corner until he's gone and then I'll go back. <laughs> I, isn't that what we do? God starts to speak to us and our hearts open up a little bit and then God starts to nail the thing in our lives, and we're like, whoa, <laughs> I, I didn't think we were going there, that wasn't on my agenda, so I'm just going to shut up shop here for a little bit, and I'm going to go away over here until you've gone, and then I'll come back out. You see, I heard this at, at the uh, conference I went to, Living Wisdom, and he said this, he says, the truth does not hurt. We've been sold a lie that the truth hurts. Have anybody heard that saying, the truth hurts? Truth doesn't hurt because the truth is Jesus, and Jesus never hurts. What hurts is when the truth exposes a lie. It's the lie that hurts, not the truth that hurts. And they say this in counseling, that you'll live with whatever it is that's going on in your world until the pain of changing is less than the pain of staying the same. And she has an opportunity in this moment of going, you know what, I don't want to go there. That's too painful and running away. Or she could just let that door fly wide open and go, here's my mess. What are you going to do? You just promised this, this water. 
Why would Jesus want to hurt you? Think about this for a moment. So often we get so close to letting God deal with our stuff and then we run like he wants to hurt us. He is love. Love isn't something he does. It's who he is. I'm telling you, if we could just get over ourselves, if we could just get over this shame that we carry of our mess and let God into the mess, watch what happens in this story from here on on. And she goes to him in verse 17, I have no husband. She replied, and Jesus said to him, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands and the one that you're with is not your, okay, you've got your point. Have you ever had that where God just goes, yeah, I know, because blah, 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 blah. I had a moment this week where I, I, I wrote in my journal, God, I just feel out of control. I just feel completely powerless about the situation, and it's not fair. And God goes, yeah, of course you're out of control because I'm the one that's in control. You don't control your life. I control it. Like, shut up. <laughs> you, you had those moments where it's like, okay, you've made your point. Go away. And here he is. And in fact, that's not your husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And then she goes, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Really? (laughs) It's like, couldn't you have just told me what my bank account number was and my ID number? You know, did you have to really just lay it all out? Thanks very much. I feel better now. Thank you. I'm now exposed for the whole world to see. Well, no, actually, it was just her and Jesus. Because that's the other thing about him. When he enters your mess, he enters it privately, not publicly. He always deals with our mess privately so that we can display the healing publicly. You see, he didn't make a, what was a big deal to her, God did not make a big deal of. Jesus didn't make a big deal out of this. He said, yeah, you're right. The guy you're with now is not your husband. You've had five previous, so you're telling the truth. He's not making some big deal out of this. You know, you know your mess, your stuff that you're dealing with that you, you feel like is this massive thing. God just doesn't make it a big deal out of it. He just calls it sin. And he says, guess what? I got a solution for it. We're the ones that make the big deal out of it. She was so focused on her mess and we we're so focused on our mess. So often we are so focused on our mess, but Jesus is always focused on the miracle in the mess. Jesus is always focused on the miracle in your mess. He is always focused on what he can do in your mess. I got mess, that's right. I've done the miracle of Jesus dying on the cross. I can do a miracle of salvation. I I, I got cancer on my body, that's okay. I got that covered by his stripes. You are healed, I can do a miracle in your mess. Come on, are you with me this morning? He can do a miracle in your mess. You are so focused on your mess. Instead of being focused on your mess, why don't you focus on the miracle in your mess? Why don't you focus on the things that God says that he's going to do? And that requires us not to go, greater is he that it is. That he that is an, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. It's about grabbing that and going, you know what? I'm going to hold on to that until I really see that happen in my world because that's the miracle I need in my mess. Are you with me this morning? It goes on and it says this, 
in verse 25, and the woman said, I know that Messiah called, Jesus, called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared to her, I am the one, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So she says, I know this Messiah is coming at some stage. She goes, guess what? I'm here. I'm it. I'm the Messiah. I'm the guy. And so what does he do? Jesus gives her a word in the middle of her situation. She's like, now I've been exposed. I know sometime the Messiah will come and he'll fix all of this. And he's going, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm already here for you. I am he, uh, let me give you this, I am he. he. She gets given a word. I don't know about you, but, but when I'm in a situation, I need to get his word for my situation. I, I need to hear his voice in the middle of my situation because that's the word that I can hold on to. If, if I go into a circumstance or I go into my mess or I go into a situation in my life and I don't have his word, I've got nothing to hold on to. The Bible says that his word is an anchor for the, hope is an anchor for the soul. And what the word does, it stirs up hope in our hearts that God is going to do something for us and so it becomes this thing that we hold on to but if you don't have a word in your mess you'll never get out of your mess because you'll be so focused on the mess that you can't see the miracle and then what you do is you start to agree with your mess instead of agreeing with the miracle because the first voice in your mess is always the word of God and then when you agree on it the Bible says where two or three agree on something so he is in the middle of it that's why it says in the book about Lazarus story that Jesus sent his word to saying that Lazarus is not dead. He's just sleeping. That was the first thing he said when he heard about Lazarus. This will not end unto death. And the reason why he had to send the word forward is because when he got there, everyone was in despair. Everyone was in disbelief. Everybody believed that this was over. And only Jesus believed that it could happen. And it says that Lazarus was buried in a cave rather than a tomb. And in a cave, there's an echo. And what happens is he sent his word forward into the cave so it could echo around the cave until it landed on Lazarus. But when Jesus turned up and said, Lazarus, come forth, Jesus Jesus agreed with the word that he sent before him because nobody else would agree with him. So he had to agree with a word that he sent prior. And I'm trying to tell you this morning that God has sent words to your life prior to any of your mess, prior to any of your circumstances. And if you would just become the seconder in what he has said about you, all of a sudden you have a miracle in the middle of your mess. He sent by his stripes, we are healed, not will be healed, hopefully healed. You are healed. And if we could just get in a line with the word that he sent about our lives before we even got to the cancer situation, I want to tell you, when you agree with God, something takes place. A miracle happens in the mess. I'm talking way too long this morning. But you need a word that speaks in your situation. I'm going to finish very shortly. In John 4.28, it goes on and it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, you got to remember, this is a woman that was hiding from the town at midday. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. You see, when we stop covering up our mess, when we live outside of our mistakes, you have freedom from your history. When we deal with our mess, when we deal with our past, when we deal with our mistakes, we now have freedom from our history. 
I don't know how much of my life has been held back because I've been so worried about my history that I've lost focus of my future. And the very thing that she was hiding is now the thing that she's leading with. Do you get that? She's out there trying to hide what's going on in her world at midday, and now it's the thing that she's leading with. Hey, everybody, come and hear this man who told me all about my five husbands and the one that I'm with now that isn't. The very thing that she was hiding now becomes the thing that she leads with. The very thing that you're trying to hide about your life is probably the very thing that God wants to lead with. Because there's always a miracle in the mess. And they said to the woman in verse 42, we no longer believe just because you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. We no longer believe just because of what you said. We can now see for ourselves, heard for ourselves. You see, if she was so worried about her mess, if she just focused on covering up her mess, if she just focused on her faults in her life, then it would have isolated her from what God called her to influence. That town only came out to the well. That town only came out and said, he's the Messiah, because she didn't cover up her mess. She went and exposed it to them all. But when we're so frightened of our mess, we isolate ourselves from being able to influence those that God's called us to lead. We all have mess, friend. Every single one of us. I have mess. In fact, about 20 weeks ago, I discovered a mess in my life and I went and got counseling for it. If there's something I could tell a 25-year-old Craig right now as a 44-year-old Craig, it'll be go for counseling. Get your crap sorted out, boy. Because the older you get, the harder it gets. Can I get an Yeah? Deal with it. Sort out your mess. Because why would you want to wear a dirty robe when you can wear his robe? Why would you want to be bound to your history rather than lead with your mess and go, you know what, I was a mess too. This is what my life looked like. But you know what? Jesus came and he cleaned up my mess. And then all of a sudden people are like, you know, I don't just believe because of what you've told me, but I've come to church and I've experienced him for myself and I've seen him change my robe into a robe of righteousness. I, I love that for myself. Why would you want to allow your mess to get in the way of influencing the people that God has called you to influence? Parents, why do you hide your mistakes from your kids? Why not be honest with them and say, look, these are some of the things that I did in my early years and I worry for you that you'll make the same mistakes. But I made these mistakes and thank be to God because God came and he saved me from those mistakes and now I am who I am today because I let God clean up my mess but I don't want you to make the same mess that I made. Why can't we be like that? Why do we hide away our mess? Why do we... Why do we think that God is afraid? Why do we think that church is not a safe place? You know, the crazy thing is, is that she had had five husbands. Now she's on the sixth. And then she had an encounter with a seventh man. 
counted with the seventh man, Jesus. Seven in Scripture speaks of perfection. Seven in Scripture speaks of, of everything coming right, of everything coming together. She needed an encounter with a seventh man because the first six were pulling her into mess, but the seventh man always pulls you out of mess. And I want to tell you this morning, some of you need an encounter with the seventh man in your life, that is Jesus Christ. You need, an you need to let him get into your mess and create a miracle in the middle of your mess. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 12 as the band comes. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, it says, I was given a gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What, in fact, what he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first I didn't think, it was a, think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that and he told me, my grace is enough. It is all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, the mess, and began appreciating it as a gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness, moving in on my mess. Now I, had, now I take limitations in my stride and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, oppositions, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. It says, my power is perfected and completed and shows itself most effectively in my Weakness in my mess, in my brokenness. You want God to show himself strong on your behalf? The Bible says this, and it goes throughout the world, looking who he may show himself strong on their behalf. It requires us to go, you know what? I've got some mess, and I'm going to hide the mess anymore. I'm not going to let history dictate to me. I'm not going to let my mess isolate me from the influence. But I'm going to come to Jesus this morning. I'm going to say, you know what? I don't want to wear this robe anymore. I don't want to wear this mess anymore. I've tried all my life to clean it up and it just gets worse. So I, I just need an exchange of robes today. I just need your robe. Because I've tried and, and I failed. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to live with mess anymore. 